0: Red Arms. Give it your all. We we'll will deploy the one to the corps Roy. Just a colossal Roy. So the dust until with light and to what shall I do?
1: Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I am your second favorite host, Justin, and I am with my or everyone's favorite host, James.
2: Really? I thought it was third.
1: Well, it's more like fourth, but I was just giving you the front and center today. Yeah,
2: damn.
1: <laughs> Unlucky you. Um So I guess we're gonna kinda jump straight into the chapter right away and then do our usual spiel at the very end. So
2: Yes, chapter ten.
1: Chapter ten, leave taking a notorious chapter.
2: Alrighty. Yeah. You got me worried there. <laughs> just... I worry? Just... No, nothing here, like a here notorious is good.
1: Well, I mean, not true. You could be an, a notorious sportsman or something. Notorious just means extremely well-known. That's all it means.
2: Well... Just for me, everything here well-known is usually a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to like get out the red, mark, be- like, Well, you know, the Red Wedding, but it's here well-known. The who? Uh, the red wedding,
0: Game of uh, Yeah,
1: it is well known, but well known does not inherently have any evil connotation to it. Was I guess what I was pushing for. So, like for this particular one, leave taking kind of explicitly states what is happening. They are taking their leave, but it's kind of like the defining chapter of the first book, let alone the series, because of what is happening and the progression of the story, etc. You'll, you'll see as we get longer in the story. But anyway. <laughs> uh, anyway,
2: back, back to what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah.
1: What are we supposed to be doing again? <laughs> anyway. um, So the last chapter, we ended basically with Moraine giving a wonderful historical speech about Manetheran and the people of Emmonsfield being the descendants of that country, nation Um, and basically Lan, Matt, and Rand were, or I should say Matt and Rand were following Lan who was taking them through the kitchen out into the stable yard so here we arrive at the stable yard to a semi good light, not great not great light um, and when Rand enters with Matt following Lan um, Perrin pops out of some straw where he's been sitting uh, with his back against the stall door and he's pretty heavily cloaked. So the warder looks over and asks him if he checked the place like he asked or like he told him to. And um, Perrin assures them that he did, and he's like, Why would anybody be in a stable? <laughs> and mm-hmm. um Lan kind of counters with a very quick snip back at him like saying care and long life go together and then gives him the nickname blacksmith but he already did that the term before but um so perrin gets the lovely name of blacksmith ran gets sheep herder i wonder he's got sleep for uh matt
2: <laughs> Sorry, something that we probably can't say but uh, well, or at least in his mind
1: well i mean anything in this series we can say because they don't say anything inherently oh, very good. remember their their list of swear words is a whole different. it's a whole different world of swear words and i can always get you that list and if anybody else is interested in that list i can also post it on uh, facebook and twitter if you'd like but it's it's a very very different style from our swearing like blood and bloody ashes is considered a heavy that a really bad f word type style swear word even though especially in like american culture that you wouldn't even blink an eye at like, you're like that doesn't even make sense, but that's just the nature of it. Like burn me is the D word and all that stuff. It's like, it, it's just there. It's, a, it's an alterization of the typical swear words into another version. But I, I personally find it more comical. It's much funnier and it's not as vulgar more or less. I mean, there are a couple that are like mother's milk in a cup is kind of vulgar, but um, mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's, there's some interesting ones but well, most okay, of well of them. i was not expecting that one oh trust me there's a long list and you will have fun with it maybe we could do like the ending of an episode sometime with just reading them off and like a variety of things and be like yeah check out all these cool swear words to use. <laughs> they're not actually swear words but they're swear words in this universe
2: yeah <laughs> remember kids uh, fictitiously swearing is cool. A regular swearing.
1: Shot your gob! <laughs> That's be the equivalent. Uh, anyway. So, Land does a quick glance around the stable, and doesn't see anything in the shadows, and is just like, we don't have time for this. She wants us to hurry! Hurry, she says. It'll be fun, she says. Um, <laughs> so, um... He heads over to the five horses that are standing there, and Rand notices that you got the black stallion, that's like a war stallion, and then a white mare. And then a couple others, the three others were not so... They're more average, I should say. They're not that great and amazing in terms of looks and appearance. But, they're probably the best that the Two Rivers has. (laughs) And, um... Land kind of like checks around, make sure everything's working and whatnot, and all their supplies are together. And then Rand looks over at his friends and is kind of like, eh, "You guys too, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Matt notices Rand's sword and jokes about him becoming a warder. Um, but then he, his laugh is like where he swallows his tongue when he notices, like, "Oh yeah, lands here." <laughs> Um, cause
2: yeah, pr- he probably, probably not joke.
1: Yeah. He's, he's making more of like a, a, a scornful mockery of Rand about that. And then realize that there is an actual warder in the room. So, um,
2: uh, uh something about warders, hey? Eh? Yeah. Something to say.
1: <laughs> well, then he mentions a merchant's guard, which you could say is, worse. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, um, Matt kind of like looks at his bow and pulls it up. So everyone can see it's like, yeah, this is an honest man's weapon. I guess it's not good enough for you. Is it? <laughs> and ran thinking of himself much higher than he really should. thinks about trying to, you know, show off his swordsmanship and whatnot. But because land was there, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna get shown up no matter what I do. So I'm not even gonna bother. And without even looking land, just mentions, you know, Hey, his sword could be useful. And in such a way where it's like yeah, wearing a sword's normal, which to or I mean it is. <laughs> yeah. But um so there's like a I don't know, a, a bit of a contrary non-contrary situation going on or like there it, it's it's normal, but it's not normal. Like in in the Two Rivers, it's not normal to wear a sword. Like no one wears weapons around the Two Rivers. Like you might have a belt knife to like you know whittle some wood or something, but you're not or like cut some rope if you need to open a sack or something. But like you're not carrying like a full on weapon. Weapon. Now they would carry bows because they go hunting or whatever things like that. But having extra sword can't hurt unless the person who's using it does not know how to use it. Then it could hurt really bad for them. Um, so, Perrin moves, but is trying to conceal uh, things under his cloak. But Rand notices that there's a big leather belt, and he's got a pretty big waist, so it's obviously going to be noticeable in something, with an axe uh, on a loop, kind of just like hanging there. And Rand asks him what he's got, and uh, Matt. Of course, picking on everybody except himself um, makes fun of, of course. Perrin being a merchant's guard, And then, of course, Perrin frowns at Matt and he's apparently already been the butt of Matt's jokes for a while now and. Pulls back his cloak to show this axe, and it's not a normal like chop a tree down axe. It's a broad half moon blade. On one side of the head. With a curved spike on the other. So it's a very. A very wicked looking. Axe. Hand axe. It's a very it's very much designed for killing. Not for cutting. Like wood. Like you're not going to go back. In the, behind the house and chop wood with it or anything. It's, it's very much a. Uh, this is supposed to. Tear through somebody. And leave nothing behind. And. Um, apparently, it looks just as strange as Ran's sword, which is already a strange thing considering it's a, mas- a blade master sword, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is not a blade master axe. Um, but parents seem to be slightly familiar with this, and tells them that basically Master Luhan had made it a couple years back, two years to be precise, um, for a wool buyer's guard, and. The guy wouldn't pay Master Luhan what he had agreed. Which, I mean, the size of Luhan, Master Luhan, I wouldn't disagree with paying him when I agreed to pay him.
2: Uh, I'd pay double.
1: I, well, I mean, I wouldn't pay double, but <laughs> I would at least ta- I would at least pay Sorry. him what I agreed.
2: As long as he didn't punch me, I'm fine.
1: Well, Master Luhan doesn't have that kind of a uh, temperament, so.
2: Well, I well I know that, but me in this hypothetical situation, did
1: well. Apparently, he wasn't really caring because you wouldn't try to cheat somebody that could punch your face open in that way. Um, And then after Master Luhan found uh, Perrin basically practicing with the axe, he's like, "Well, you might as well have it because no one else is going to pay me for that." So, um, basically, Perrin made out like a bandit. <laughs> and um, Matt, again, snickering and making fun of everybody. But Perrin's giving him look like, you better watch yourself, son. <laughs> and Matt's like, hey, hey, hey. At least one of us knows how to use a real weapon. Um, and then Lan mentions that the bow is a real weapon. And he also mentions that the village boys of Emmons Field and the slings they use, whether it's hunting rabbits, chasing wolves away from sheep, anything like that, it's very useful. He says a line here that I personally love and adore because it's my viewpoint about everything, but it's kind of the ninjutsu mentality. And for those of you who don't know what ninjutsu is, ninjutsu is the art, martial art of making anything into a weapon. So you could be a broom, you could turn it into a quarterstaff, it could be a pipe that turns into a shiv, you know, anything, anything can be a weapon. So he says that so here, anything could be a weapon. If the man or a woman who holds it has the nerve and will to make it. So I love that phrase with a passion. Um, it very much leaves anything to the imagination, which is one of the things I love about ninjutsu. It makes you very aware of your surroundings because you're always looking for something um, if in case you need a weapon, you don't have to be like, okay, that's a, that's a paintbrush, can't use that. Oh, that's you know, that's a that's a sock, can't use that. No, like you can use a sock to choke somebody to death. <laughs> you can use <laughs> uh, you can use um uh, a paintbrush to jab somebody in the eye. Like there's a plethora of ways you can look at utilizing a tool, whatever type of tool it is, as a weapon. Anything can be used. You can use a bucket of water, just shove somebody's head in it, and they can't get out of it, and. They drown like anything can happen. It's just the the real cautionary part is why you're trying to find everything as a weapon. If you're doing it out of aggression and off being on the offensive, it's not necessarily a good thing on the defensive. It's a great thing because it means you're probably not going to be caught unawares. And if you are, you have a higher chance of surviving by making the best of whatever it is you're doing. Um even if it's something that doesn't leave like a direct, like instant kill move, it's still something like you can knock somebody's breath out. will basically incapacitate them for enough time for you to either get away or whatever. You don't have to kill somebody with it. It's just, it's just the matter of which you are the weapon just as much as what you're using because you have the nerve and will to make it. So, but the reason why you're making it so is what differs from people. A lot of people, especially in the political world, put towards like one side is weapons are bad and the other side puts it as weapons are only bad if used wrongly. And it's like it's it's kind of a mixed thing. And it depends on where you're from, I guess, to how familiar you are or are not with them. But ultimately, it comes down to basically it's it's a good concept especially when your life is on the line. I would advocate strictly for self-defense, but not everybody agrees with even that. Um, so then Land continues on by mentioning, you know, aside from Trollocs, if you want to survive to get to Tarvalin, even before we leave the local area of Emmonsfield and the Two Rivers, you're going to have to just change your entire outlook on what's going on, or you're not even going to make it to Tarwallet. So, and Land's classic signature staple appearance of his face and his voice cold as death and hard as rough-hewn gravestone basically <laughs> stifles any laughter, happiness, or anything of the sort of excitement of the adventure. It's more of like, yeah, we're all going to die.
2: <laughs> so, so, you know, just a very cheery fellow.
1: Here's me a of Mr. Popo from Dragon Ball Z-Bridge. You're all going to die. What? <laughs> that was a far outfield one that no one's probably going to get. But the few of you that get it, you know who you are. So Perrin puts his cloak back over his axe. Matt kind of just stares at the ground. And Lan just, you know, grunts his favorite grunt language of gruntness. And goes back to checking everything. And it just becomes really quiet. So thoughts on this section james anything stick out to you
2: i don't know again it's sort of just kind of reinforcing the uh like i guess see like it just hit like the sheer um damn it here yeah, just Danger. Get. <laughs> yeah it's see, and just do, like how out of that death so you just hit like the three here you know, like the uh three of them are just
1: fish out of water
2: yeah very much so and also just um I guess going back here to like uh what was said in here, like i think it was the previous chapter or there about here that um like violence just isn't in the like the two rivers people's way so you know just say like yeah. they, they do have weapons but like
1: not the normal they, weapons you'd assume yeah, they,
2: yeah just you kind of very much here, like defensive weapons
1: well, it's I mean they can thing. be used offensively like they're bows again to hunt and whatnot they're using it offensively but they're using it in a utilitarian way as opposed to a uh military way
0: yeah
1: and I mean they but... have they have spears so to speak but I wouldn't give it to them as something like it's not the type of spear you'd expect to see in like a like a an actual military like in a spearman formation or something it would be probably closer to a spear designed exclusively to keep away wolves from sheep and whatnot or to reach something that you don't want it to get too close to you maybe like a bear but it's more like a a slightly longer stick than a normal stick with a spear point on the end (laughs) it's not really a it's it's not going to be a full on pike let's put it that way but
2: um and also the advantage of uh just everyone using ranged weapons is either it gives you a chance to run away
1: yeah and sadly they didn't really put a large emphasis on the bows of the two river which they will later on so i won't ruin it now
2: i was really expecting um rands but sorry rands but uh, to actually be like his signature weapon but uh after it got broke in the house i was like oh
1: yeah that's what the sad things is like well darn but it makes you think it's like with all these bows in this town you think somebody would be able to give them an extra bow <laughs> but yeah, they just they completely it, it, ignore it
2: but no just you have to go without
1: yeah so i mean it's just this little section it doesn't give it like a whole horrid sensation of like yeah this is gonna like end horribly right now and I I think honestly that the entire excuse me the entirety of this chapter is gonna be basically it's it can only get worse it's basically how it gets as they yeah. go forward and we'll see that as we go but it's not even the, actually the, that bad yeah <laughs> It's, this is nothing compared to what's coming. So, I guess we'll yeah, continue well, with that, unless you have yeah. more.
2: No, it's just so you to say, just a side note for uh, just being my personal feeling, you see that the Atlanta doesn't actually remember people's names. You see, you just see, like, with the nicknames and that's about it.
1: I think it's more of he's not expecting them to live long enough for them to deserve names.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're not going to survive. I don't care. <laughs> you
1: are an NPC. I don't care. <laughs> Lan, little do we know, Lan is the main character of the story.
2: <laughs> yeah. See, uh, something breaks away and just becomes the Witcher. Basically. The Warder.
1: Although between a Witcher and a Warder, I'm not sure who to win. They're pretty close to on the same tier. The only difference is that a Warder can't use magic, even as little as the Witcher does. Um, so then we continue on with Matt saying how much he's not really liking these stories that they heard about everything and then Perrin's like being sarcastic like oh what do you mean we have a warder and I to and Trollocs what more could you want <laughs> right. and I said like
0: oh I Sedai. who <laughs> it's
1: that, the boogeyman for him I guess and then Perrin asks Rand about whether or not he believes what Moraine has told them about what the Trollocs want of the boys. And all three of them look over at Lan, who appears to be absorbed with saddling Moraine's white mare. And they moved a little bit further away from Lan so they could huddle together and talk. I'm like, how big is this stable? They can't move very far. <laughs> I mean, you have a couple Durans. You have at least a slot for maybe like 10 more horses. It's not that big of a stable. Um, and we're not even sure that they're like, the horses aren't all stabled in like the same slot. They could have their individual, uh, stable slots or they could all be in the same like a group com- communion type one, like our community stable, whatever it's called. Um, we don't know. So it depends, but Rand's like, well, I mean, I talked to, um, the mayor and he confirmed all these other things. The Matt's like, you talk to the who? We're not supposed to tell anybody anything. So did she told us? And he's like, I didn't tell him why I was asking about it. I just asked him if like what we were going to like, is any of this accurate? Like who got attacked and whatnot? And he's like, did you not talk to anybody? Do you not have phones? Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but I'm going to beat that dead blizzard joke to the ground. Um or that she's that dead blizzard horse. Um and then he's like, Didn't you let anybody know you're going? And they're like, Well, we're not supposed to tell anybody is what Parents says and then Matt's like, Well, we left notes for our families and when we're gone they'll find the notes and then that'll be that. And he's like, My mom thinks Tarvalin is the next thing to ghoul it's <laughs> like, Well, you're probably not too far off. I mean, they both have really tall peaks. They're both filled with magic users. I mean, yeah, they're basically the same thing. <laughs> but, um... He jokes about her, his mom locking her, him in the cellar if she thought he was going there. And then... <sighs> Perrin adds, because Perrin more or less stays with the Luhans more than he does with his own family because he's an apprentice. But... He points out that, you know Master <laughs> Master Luhan and Mistress Luhan are both stubborn as stone, but Mistress Luhan's the worst of the two. And <laughs> basically, here we have one of the legendary swear words of Matt. Burn me, Rand. <laughs> I know she's nice guy at all, but all the trollocs really were here. She said not to tell anybody, and if an die doesn't know what to do about something like this, who does? And Rand's like, I don't know, but my dad believes her, so he agreed to let me go. um And then, out of the vapors of the night, Moraine, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> you talked to your father? And Rand, of I, course. I just,
2: I just knew she was just gonna pay. Just like
1: yeah. Rand's like. Not even like looking at her, he's looking at her staff. Like, are you gonna thump me with that or something? <laughs> what are you gonna turn it into that? Nine Eve 2.0? Yeah, I mean, you're both short, so I guess that makes sense, but you're shorter than Nine Eve. Um, it's like there's no, but he was really looking at it to see if, like, you know, is there any flames? Is there any charm? Because he's he saw the fire come out of the wood, but he's not seeing any like damage from it. He just mentions that he didn't want to let didn't want to go without letting his, his dad know. So she's just like, whatever. And then looks over at Matt and parents like, did you decide that you couldn't just leave a note? And they're like, no, 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 we, we did, we did. And then there's like, whatever is done is already woven in the pattern. That is a key phrase she will consistently use. You'll see it a lot. What's done is done. It's it's, it's the short term, or I should say the short term of it is, it is what it is. And then... Um, Land lets her know that the horses are ready and we have enough uh, supplies to reach Barrelon with a little bit extra spare. And then they can leave at any point, but they think they should leave now. Thoughts on this little section?
2: I don't know. Again, as so you just see, kind of, does everyone here not wanting to kickstart yet another panic?
1: Well, not even necessarily that. They just don't want to, like, make... They don't want to make it appear like the Aes Sedai and the Warder are taken off with young men of the village, like, kidnapping
2: or something. I guess that's that as well.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, they don't want to be like, Yeah, oh, the Trollocs are coming back unless we take these guys. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Why would that happen? Well, the Dark One, the Dark One!
0: Ah! <laughs>
1: it's like, everybody would take it so out of context that it would just, like, go all over the place and you'd have the Congers and Coppins back on the front porch but yes
0: yeah uh,
2: again it's all to see kind of um I don't know I guess you could you know, kind of extrapolate you know, some uh some like the connections you know, that he the characters have with their families just from uh and also I guess see like you know, their faith in uh what uh, Moraine is saying at the moment
1: yeah it's a it's a rough thing
2: and also I, d- I did actually like the uh just here the time does it the um phrase that she used if my thing would actually like to work what thing oh, uh, you your book. yeah it's yeah, my docu- yeah it's my document um, that,
1: that moraine uses
2: yeah just see the uh what like what's done is woven or
1: oh how what is done is good. already woven in the pattern yes the, it, it is what it is line <laughs>
2: yeah I don't know. I just don't like it either. And also, I can just imagine her just seeing it being like. Just seeing like using that. I see if it's just saying, screw it. <laughs> can't, can't be doing we with fixing it. So I guess well, we're just going with this.
1: Well, it's one of those things where it's.
2: we on like an off day. That's just what she says.
1: Yeah, but like, what it is, is actually a. It's. It's not just an it-is-what-it-is it is thing. It's it's not even, like, a resignedness as much as it is an acceptance of what the pattern puts before her in her path and accepting that that is um, the way it should be, the way it's going to be, whether she wants it to or not. So if somebody shows up and she's like, well, they shouldn't be going with this. They're like, well, I'm coming anyway. And they're like, oh, well... That's the way the pattern is. It's it's almost like one of those really cheesy like home dramas and it's like, "Well, what do you do?" Ha ha, and the whole everybody in the room laughs and everything and then it cuts to the end of the show. You know, it's like it's it's really cheesy to an extent, but at the same time, it shows how much faith she has in the pattern and that what it's doing, while it may or may not be considered mindless, it's still fate. It's it's going to be how it's going to be despite what she wants about it. She has her own goals that she will work towards, and if the pattern smiles upon the, on her and lands so them, um, it'll happen in such a way that they will be in good light, in good faith, in good favor, if that be to happen. So basically, instead of the, the pattern weaving against them, they're hoping it'll weave in their favor. I guess it's the basic gist of that. But, yeah. Anything else? Before we move on?
2: Uh, just quickly going, going through it. I like, got oh, to do like a... But you don't solve. have the whole
1: chapter memorized after reading it once? Come on, what's wrong with you?
2: I believe in no, I'm, I'm not as perfect as you are.
1: Uh, nobody is. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> I was born this way. Lady Gaga told me so. Um... But yeah. If you've got nothing else, then we'll go ahead. But if you've got something else, we'll <sighs> look at it.
2: No. no I can see it like he, again, just see it like uh, people just being like, do we really have to do this? But, <laughs> you know, if a strange woman just came in town and says, hey, quick, we have to escape, I'd be like, uh, really?
1: Strange women in pods distributing swords, no system of government. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> what? Where's that from? Money <laughs> Python.
2: Oh yeah. The Holy uh, Grail? Yeah, uh, you Hugh he, he, Yangtze he loves that love that movie way more than like we do. Like
1: Hey, John I Cleese. Saw... John Cleese will be calling you up shortly, good sir, and you will be having a death wish. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's it's a great series. I actually own the entire Flying Circus and all of their movies, so Of course. Uh yes I do. That's because I actually appreciate British humor, where I completely despise American humor.
2: See, so, yeah, we could fill the rest of this episode if we're just as bashing, just in, like American humor. But I don't think that's what people came here for.
1: I don't know. They might be coming. For <laughs> they might be coming for that, but probably uh, not. Anyway, change of <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, this was Tales of Red Arm. Now it's Tales of How American Humor Sucks. Yeah, but anyway, back to the story. So uh-huh. after the land suggests that you know we should leave now, of course nothing goes according to plan. Not without me, Egwene screams as she enters the table. Not I'm just kidding. She says <laughs> not without me, as she slips into the table, or table the stable in the table the table in the stable. Ah, good old words and slip of the tongue, or was it a slip in the stable? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> but she's got a little bundle in her arms. And then ran, nearly, <laughs> nearly falls over. <laughs> like he's like half striding towards the horse, and it just whoop, whoop, almost flops on his face. Um, and then I
2: had, I completely caught this earlier. Just yeah. like, yeah, this is gonna happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you weren't wrong. Um, so, Lance's sword comes a half out of his sheath, and he just like, his eyes just kind of like go dead, and puts his sword back in his sheath, and then. Matt and Perrin were like, Wait we and tell her, we didn't tell her, we didn't tell her. <laughs> and obviously Rand didn't, because Rand's been a little busy. Um And the acid I just completely ignores all the men all the men, really, and just looks at Egwene and taps her lips thoughtfully. Keep that tucked away. So Egwene's dark brown cloak's hood was pulled up. Mm. And <laughs> She's defiantly facing Moraine. I love this. It's just like, you got some kahunas, man, because, you know, that's a really dumb idea. But considering she just faced down yeah. an entire village and you're by yourself. <laughs> oh, did I mention she has magic? <laughs> and a warder who's a bladesmaster.
2: And you're in, currently in a secluded area with people that are about to leave. Yeah. Nobody will hear you scream. <laughs>
1: But Egwene's um, like, I have everything I need, including food. I will not be left behind, and I'll never probably get the chance to go out and see the world again. And then of course Matt's like, we're not going to the Waterwood for a picnic. But then she looks at him, and he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love her sarcasm. I'm not a like I'm not a huge fan of Egwene personally, but I love her sarcasm. Like, thank you, Matt. I wouldn't have known. <laughs> I can appreciate that. I can appreciate her at certain points in time, but she's yeah. not. She, I'm not very fond of her, honestly. Um,
2: I think the problem is that he just like times he time, she's kind of very unlikable. Well, and I also find that she's just brute forcing her way into this expedition.
1: Well, imagining who she's learning from, are you really that surprised?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm surprised she didn't actually just try to knock it, knock Marie <laughs> out at the moment. Yeah. Well, I, would, you I am joining your Bang!
1: I feel like that would end horribly for her and she'd be unconscious and left behind. So I think that would be a poor move on her part. And I think she knows it, but she's trying to play off as if, you know, I yet, can take you.
2: Yes, yes, I would have preferred if that happened.
1: I know. Sometimes we do wish that. But what is done is already woven in the pattern. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to throw that out there. Uh, uh, so it begins. <laughs> so it begins. The rain starts falling. Um,. I will say, um, the, well, I think I just lost what I was going to say about that, but <laughs> thanks for distracting me. Gosh. Um, like with Egwene, she has her moments where she's like, she's really smart. And then she has her moments where she's just, you want to throttle her. <laughs> to, be, to be blunt, you want to throttle her because she just says something absolutely stupid or she thinks very minimalistically. then other moments, she's thinking like the smartest person in the room and she's completely composed. And you're just like, what is going on? Like, are you just like changing your personality as you wish or like what's going on? But I will say that there are a lot of characters, especially if you're of the, if you're a man a lot of the women characters will rub you off the wrong way. And if you're a woman, a lot of the men characters, or male characters, will rub you off the wrong way. Just because that's how Robert Jordan basically decided to deal with the concept that is alive in the real world of sexism, but in almost a joking manner, but not to make light of that it exists, but more or less that... It's on both sides, it's not just one or the other. It's not like just men and misogyny and or just women and misandry. It's it's kind of a bit of both. So anytime you see somebody bashing like, "Oh, can you believe her?" or "Can you believe him?" It's not them picking on the opposite sex and it's one-sided by the author. It's completely two-sided. It's always going back and forth. Sometimes the men and women do it in front of each other. The men do it less because they want to keep their skin intact. But it's it's humorous and comical to the story by how they do that. So you'll notice that Egwene here is being extremely stubborn and moose-headed, in my opinion, and indignant and whatnot. It's, it's just, she's not very likable at this point. <laughs> you can understand that, yeah, she wants to go out and see the world, but it's like, Matt had a point. We're not going to the Waterwood for a picnic. Like, they're not doing this because they're going out to see the world. They're doing this so that the village doesn't get burned to the ground and everyone's <laughs> slaughtered mercilessly. Like, <laughs> my gosh. Uh, anyway, moving on. On, what? So, Rand asks her how they how she knew that they were leaving, and tells her like you can't go this. We're not leaving for the fun of it. We're being chased by Trollocs, and she gives him I love this a tolerant look. <laughs> it's like she doesn't believe it. Well, boy, she's about to get a rude awakening. Um, and then she points out that. Matt and Perrin were, like, bull calves pretending to be foxes. And they're hiding all these, you know, weapons and packs and whatnot, trying to get over to the stables. I don't, why she's standing a watch and seeing them do this? I don't know, considering how late it is. But whatever. Um... And then basically, everyone's talking about daydreams and whatnot with Matt and Perrin involved. i just like, I figured you'd probably be in it as well. And Rand's like, well, we have to go. The Trollocs will come back. And then Egwene's like, ha ha. If you decide to see some of the world well and good, but please spare me your nonsensical tales. I'm like, okay. First off, Egwene.
0: <laughs> Where were you?
1: Where were you when this all happened? And whose wounds have you been healing? And from what, exactly? But
2: <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I did the sense here to stare out your window the entire time, but he did not look at the three massive pyres burning with Trolloc corpses just am, down the road.
1: I am partially convinced that she is actually part Conger and Coplin, where she just shows up and says, so when's the <laughs> festival going to start? Herder?" her. <laughs> it's like, oh, it accidentally, you guys just accidentally burnt down half the village. When are we starting to have the festival? <laughs> And then Perrin and Matt are like, it's true, the Trollocs. And then Moraine just goes, Enough. Poof. Everyone just shuts up. And did anyone else know this is going on? But her voice being so soft, Egwene's like, gulp. <laughs> and then she's like, tries to make herself appear. To- I'm like, yeah. The women in this series, it's very rare to have a very tall woman at least in comparison to the men. Like, there are very tall women, and some of them are even as tall as some of the other men, but that's more of a different culture and stuff. But it's very rare, especially of the average wetlander, if you will, to have a woman be as tall as a man. Even short men are typically taller than most tall women, just because. Now there are, there are exceptions in cases where it's not necessarily that way all the time but that's the typical average person. So, her drawing herself up is like, you're not that tall. You are taller than Moraine but you're not that tall. <laughs> and um, basically points out, Egwene points out that everyone's just so focused on rebuilding the village and she didn't tell anybody and nobody would notice unless you pushed it under their or basically unless you pushed it on their nose and told them directly so then Moraine's like okay you can come with us and you're like what what <laughs> and of course land's like no way and then she's just like it is part of the pattern now and he's like this is stupid <laughs> so there's no reason for her to come along and ever reason for her not to and I'm like
2: um, I mean, yeah she does
1: I mean you can tuck that away for later and decide whether or not that's true so Moraine goes, there is a reason for it. It's a part of the pattern.
0: <laughs> it's, just like, it's because I wanted to be.
1: It's, it's it's fate, sucker. And he's like, ah! Then he nods and gives his assent. You can tell they've been together for a bit now, and he's getting used to this. And yeah, I'm
2: kind of surprised you that he didn't hear something one of his uh, famous growling sessions at the moment.
1: Well, you got to remember, he's a warder too nice to die. He doesn't growl at her.
2: He's, he, he growls Maybe. to protect
1: her. He doesn't growl at her.
2: Maybe he should.
1: Maybe. So, Ran tries to convince the Goya that they're not going to be safe because the Trollocs are going to be chasing them probably until Tarvalin. And she's like, Don't f- try to frighten me off. You can't scare me away. I'm going with you, like it or not. <laughs> and she does the whole little Z snap thing. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't!
2: Yes, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just envisioning a scene now where they get attacked by Trollocs she tries to do something useful she messes up and then like Rand has to come in and save her and then she's like oh you didn't have to save me yeah. just because she seems to be this kind of level of bright at the moment
1: well we'll keep that in your list of predictions shall we Yeah.
2: <laughs> see how many of
1: them are actually true Um. so Rand's familiar with her being like that and he tries to persuade her, but Maureen interrupts. We've got no time for this. We need to be as far away as possible. Um, and she could rouse the entire village before we've gone a mile. And She's like, I wouldn't do that. And Land's like, well, she could take the Gleeman's horse. I'll leave him some money for buying another. So what do you think of that so far? Besides what we've already talked about. <laughs> <laughs>
2: from the things we already covered, um, uh, again, you just see like it's, I don't, I guess I like obviously thinking back to, I think it was Tammy that he said he, that um, an I doesn't do anything about without reason or something along those lines.
1: More or less, that's true, yeah.
2: So I, I just, much like you, I kind of talked to you that. That away in my mind, and so I kind of thought thought that he just the second year that um, Gwyn uh, joined joined in the group, and also I could kind of see it as a I guess a natural progression of the party.
1: It's almost like d and D campaign.
2: <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you got, you got here the angry, angsty ranger, which is Lan. If uh, you got here the, uh,
1: I would definitely call Lan a a, a fighter or even a barbarian.
2: Uh, I guess the other ranger thing was to really be closer to uh, the sort of Aragorn sort of archetypal characters. But, okay. um, so,
1: so not an actual ranger. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, no. he's just a
2: fighter that spends times in his I'm, time in butchers. I'm
1: pretty confident that Land would butcher Aragorn in a sword fight.
2: Death battles, get on that.
1: Yeah, I know, right? Statistics um, in favor of whom? Mostly because Land has a severe bonus on his side that. Aragorn doesn't.
2: Um but uh yeah, well I I guess we, like, we could fill the rest of the time slot with uh talking about uh D D stuff, but not gonna bother bother people with that. But uh turns <laughs> Tales yeah,
1: Tales of a D Red Arm. <laughs> or Tales of a Red Arm D D edition. Maybe we'll do that at some day if you ever finish that uh D D campaign for Wheel of Time.
2: Yeah, slowly getting on with that. <laughs> it's gonna be slow it.
1: dude you got 14 more books to go through
2: <laughs> yeah i will transition every bit of the story to to dc it's, you it's, it's, because you can't play because you can't
1: play what
2: you can't play it why yeah because you know everything
1: well of course i know everything wouldn't be me if i didn't
2: uh but yeah i, I guess i like getting back to the thing um uh, <laughs> I was kind of surprised to hear that uh, Nynaeve hasn't uh, put in an appearance just yet. And, uh, yeah,
1: you think she'd be, like, following, like, well, how Egwene noticed Matt and Perrin, you think Nynaeve would notice Egwene's, just following her into this, and just, like, walking in yeah. like, what is this, a that... freaking mosh pit? Come on!
2: <laughs> yeah, th- those two definitely seem inseparable, or at least they were.
1: <laughs> well, it's because they were healing people. But I'm surprised, because I figured Nynaeve would be having, like, Egwene and her like switch on the night watch for whoever needs assistance or help or something so it is a little odd but the show must go on so unless you have anything else we can move on
2: uh not at the moment
1: alright so then once again we have a wonderful entry of that will not be possible came Tom Marilyn's resonant voice from the hayloft (laughs) It's like sheesh. First, first Agu- or well, first Moraine shows up, kind of poof out of nowhere. Then Agui shows up, poof out of nowhere, and then Tom poof out of nowhere. So I think poof out of nowhere is what they should have named the, the chapter. <laughs> chapter ten, poof out of nowhere.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm just, I'm just imagining just lying, just angry, just being like, all right, is everyone else? <laughs> it's just, hiding
0: it's like that part.
2: Blacksmith, I told you to look.
1: It's part. It's like that part from the Hobbit where they have Bayorn, and they show up with like, here's Gandalf and the Hobbit, and then here comes two dwarves, and then two more dwarves, and then two more dwarves. Are there any others? And then boom, like six dwarves pop out. It's just like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so at this point, Lan is on on Bayorn's level. So, but this time land's sword doesn't get put back in the sheath after he whips it out and he just stares at the gleam. End. so Tom tosses <laughs> down his, his little gaggle of goods and stuff and uh, saddlebags and whatnot. And basically tells him like, yeah, basically there's no reason for me to be here and they have no use for me. So uh, I was thinking about traveling to Tarvalin and, you know, Practicing my arts there, yeah. I have no objections. It's like after last night, I have no objections to traveling in company. So of course <laughs> the warder looks over at Perrin, and Perrin's like, "Well, I didn't think to look in the loft." Yeah,
2: because who who thinks to hide there?
1: Gleeman, apparently.
2: So he's very unimaginative, isn't he?
1: I know, right? So. Lan just kind of like stiffly looks over at moraine and asks her so is this part of the pattern too and then you know moraine just nailing that thing into the coffin everything is part of the pattern my old friend we cannot pick and choose but we shall see it's like oh we gotta be a little bit more mysterious don't we so tom puts his feet on the stable floor turns from the ladder and brushes himself clean of or brushes his patch-covered cloak clean of any straw, and he's like, in fact, you might say I insist on traveling in company. And he's like, I, <laughs> I gotta read this, part because it's funny. I have given many hours over many mugs of ale, thinking of how I might end my days. A Trolloc's cook pot was not one of those thoughts.
2: <laughs> huh.
1: And then he looks over at lad. he's like, there's no need for that. I am not cheese for slicing. <laughs> Did you cut the cheese? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: well, gosh. you know,
2: at least he's good-natured I in the that. face of violence.
1: He kind of has to be as a gleeman. So I like this, where this becomes kind of like the first, um, the first real conversation between Moraine and Tom. And I want you to keep that tucked away because it's going to come down the road. It becomes a little bit more hmm. So, she's like, well, we must go quickly and almost certainly into great danger. We got Trollocs and we're going out by night. Are you, are you sure? Is that your final answer? And then Tom gives them all, as they say, a quizzical smile. Well, if the girl can do it, it can't be that dangerous for me. <laughs> Sexism. on! <season! laughs> and there it is. <laughs> Step one. Um, it's actually good natured, but, um, he's <laughs> like, what Gleeman would not face a little danger to perform in Tarvalin? So Moraine's like, okay, land sheathes his sword, and Rand's like, well, if Tom had changed his mind, what would have happened, or what would have happened if Moraine hadn't agreed? So, mm-hmm. Gleeman starts silent, he's like, so, now how are we gonna get... <laughs> it's more like the gleeman kept eyeing landsword, but more is like, how are we gonna, how are we gonna get Egwene there? And the lands like, well, they got the Durans, but they, them and the peddlers' horses are very strong, but they're very slow. Saran mentions Bella, and apparently, land was trying to dissuade this entire venture. Because the look he gave Rand was basically like, you should keep your mouth shut. (laughs) So Rand was like, well, we're not going to keep Egwene from finding a way to come. So we might as well help her get there faster. So he points out that Bella's got good stamina. She's strong and she's not nearly as fast as everybody else, but she could probably keep up. So Lan looks over at Bella and her stall and then was like, well, she's a little bit better. Like, probably no other choice. And I'm thinking, like, poor Tam being stripped of all his sheep, his cows, and now his horse. <laughs> He's going to have to do some major reworks.
2: Yeah, he he doesn't even have the secret sword anymore. I hope he,
1: I hope he has uh, really good insurance. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Wait, does insurance cover natural disasters like Trollocs? <laughs> or I should say unnatural disasters.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's the furthest thing from a natural disaster
1: <laughs> Trollocs are the most unnatural things Or one of the most unnatural things So <clears throat> Moraine's like, well, she'll have to do Quick ran, settler We're going now we, We're waiting too long They're like, just tapping our fingers like Who else is going to show up? Who else is going to show up? <laughs> They're going to leave with half the village behind her <laughs> Coming yeah, with, a, not chasing. Coming with.
2: Yeah, they, they somehow actually wrangled like Simbuie into this.
1: Oh please no. Uh,
2: that, that, that would be interesting. Uh,
1: that would be interesting, or would it?
2: Interesting to see how they go him there.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting.
2: After that point, it's like, okay, where's we'll the the closest ditch we can throw him in?
1: So Rand goes and sets Bella up with all the saddle and everything, and. She's not used to a saddle, so she's giving him a look like, what are you saddling me for? Because he typically does bareback riding, and basically she's just kind of like, whatever. Chilling out. Um, He takes Egwene's bundle, straps it on, like saddlebags, and he basically notices that what she's wearing, like her wool stockings were bare to the knee, um, She's wearing leather, soft leather shoes like all the other village girls, but it's not suitable for traveling even like a day, let alone weeks and weeks, if not a month to get to Tarvalan. Or more than that. Um, and he's like... He's like, I still don't think you should be going with us, but I'll try to protect you from the Trollocs or anything else. And she's like, well, maybe I'll keep take care of you instead. But then... She kind of gives him a uh, a fond look, if you will, and says, I know you'll look after me. We look after each other, but now you better go get on your horse. So thoughts on this?
2: Well, let me see that. I just say, you know, say that across the entire chapter is he just um, lands reaction to uh, Tom Marilyn's arrival.
1: Well, Lan's already stated in previous areas oh, yeah. that he does not like yeah. him, so
2: yeah, and he, I mean, I'm kind of just here, like, how would they like why? Because uh, Tom Maryland hasn't exactly been proven to be a distrust, you know, distrust thing, uh. or um,
1: well, Lan said yeah, he, didn't him, he didn't see him. He didn't see Lan Did not see the gleeman on Winter's night, so it was one of those things where he's like, I don't think he did anything. I think he just hid like a coward, a coward kind of thing. So, the, he, I mean, Lan has his suspicions. He doesn't necessarily have anything solid on him. But you also got to keep in mind, being that he is a warder, and that Aes Sedai are not extremely popular in a lot of places, and there are a lot of enemies of the Aes Sedai to which he has to keep cautious of, not to mention the Dark One has his own minions out and running about. And we already learned from the big history lesson of the last episode, that um, in the last chapter, that Dark Friends do exist. Dark friends are men that serve the Dark One. So, it's not like he's not being cautious for a reason. He's basically waiting for Moraine's approval to allow anything. Everything else he could disable pretty quickly. Whether it be him knocking him unconscious, because he's not going to just kill him because he has a suspicion. Uh, He might just knock him unconscious and then move on. And he could do it. He's big. He's a big guy. <laughs> so if he wanted to, mm. he could do it. Um, he's like Tam in terms of his sturdiness, but he's also got a, lar- a large, a larger point of deadliness to him. Warders are warders because they're deadly. Um, so I guess anything else?
2: <sighs> okay, you must have had that one.
1: It sounded like a it sounded like a chair, going arp. <laughs>
2: uh, fireworks.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> Britain and the, well, I don't want to give the date away, but
2: <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can probably guess.
1: Well, uh, we'll let them guess all they want.
2: <laughs> yeah, that could be it could be a fun little mail in game.
1: Sure. <laughs> yeah.
2: And they can they just be like, oh, is it this day? It's like, what are you on about?
1: so anything else left in this section before we move on or you think it's good
2: um i kind of just see like uh people see yeah you know, like uh people are discussing stuff and uh another detail which i kind of picked up on it was um equine so sort of i guess yeah okay i guess he like um short-sighted probably isn't the, like the right term but she had to, like a sense enough to like supplies but no, like not sense enough to like you know dress properly for this you know she's even like well, dead certainty that she's coming on she's
1: she's like a half and half she's half prepared because she knows that because it's a journey she's going to need supplies so give her that she's she's somewhat planned yeah. but the other half is she doesn't know what it is to be prepared because she doesn't know what to expect. She thinks that, oh, if I just go out in my normal casual clothes, it'd be great. But that's like climbing a mountain in the Rockies in regular, like, shorts and a tank top that you would go to the beach in. It's just, you you don't, there's certain things you should just know better that about. But she doesn't because she's never been out. So she doesn't know what is better or isn't better. So you can kind of like, yeah, she's preparing herself to an extent. But she's also not prepared because she doesn't know what she's getting into. But you can't really blame her for that because she's never been out. If she had been out before, she probably would be smarter and wiser about it. But because of her age, she's not have she would have no reason to have gone out.
2: Yeah, just just kind of reading through that bit, um, like first time around, it I sort of kind of just see it marked her in my mind as a kind of slightly impulsive sort of character.
1: Well, yeah, I mean. Something like that. The 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 the, typic, the typical and I know this is gonna you know, sexist the typical female style is typically impatience. Like impatience is very much fond in terms of women. And impatience and pride. Now, men are also extremely pr- proud in this series, but theirs is also more of they base everything off of ego rather than impatience. Like, oh, I'm this person or that person, or who are you to tell me you're better than me, type of thing. But, (laughs) it's typically, it's a little different. But you will notice that impatience is not typically an attribute attributed to men, where it is typically for women. Women want to be obeyed instantly. They don't want to be made to wait. Men want to have freedom and do what they want to do. So, it's, it's something you'll see consistently. So, I mean, if you want to keep a tally, everyone who's listening to this, keep a tally, cover the last couple, couple of episodes anytime a woman's demanded obedience or wanted something more, more or less that ended up being impatient about, keep tallies on those types of things. And then also keep tallies on the men. You'll probably, by the end of the, the books, we'll probably have almost an exact number for both sides. So it's... Again, it's, it's, a, it's a dual side picking. It's just something you will notice. But don't get emotional about it because it's all in good fun. And the author is kind of making fun of both sides because it's obvious that both are doing it. So anybody who's trying to like pick one side and join them is just going to really have a bad time. Because both sides are going to get it pretty good. So just enjoy that. Anything <clears throat> else before we move on or...
2: No, last thing, last thing that I would hear sort of say is that we get, we as readers, we get like a little bit more insight into Brandon uh, and a relationship, and uh, you know, as a cliche, it's so, so to say, yeah, it's, it looks, like it's a bit complicated."
0: <laughs> it's complicated.
1: It's not that simple. Tell me what you want. <laughs> what do you want? Sorry. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um. Everybody else is mounted except for him. So Rand gets on his horse. Um, He gets Cloud, a tall gray with a black mane that belonged to John Thane. Or Had. Um, He jumps in the saddle and he gets kind of used to Cloud. Um, (laughs) And nobody wanted Cloud, so all of his friends picked everybody other than Cloud because it's a very spirited gray against merchant horses and... He had never lost. Um, but he doesn't give people an easy ride. So land probably paid a lot to make the Miller sell it, but you know, it is what it is. The, the gray appears to want to run pretty badly, but I mean, he's a racehorse. What'd you expect? Um, it's like getting in a freaking NASCAR vehicle and expecting to go like 30 miles an hour. It's like, yeah, right. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Saran holds on and is like, please don't kill me. So they exit the stable and then they hear an owl hoot and they all like flip out. <gasps> and then they start laughing and they're like, oh, it's, it's it's just, you know, it's just an owl. And then Egwene, you know, tries to crack a joke about like, haha, next thing you know, field might as well chase us up a tree. And then Lan, of course, be like, no. Better if it had been wolves. And Perrin <laughs> keep, keep this tuck away. Perrin exclaims, wolves, keep that tucked away. Very important. Very, very important. And the warder favored him with a flat stare. So we learn a bit of history about wolves, which is kind of nice, because we wonder, how does how does how does Len know this? Wolves don't like trolls blacksmith and trolls don't like wolves or dogs either. If I had heard wolves I'd be sure there were no trolls waiting us waiting out there for us. And then he heads out into the moon night and walking his stallion. So, little, what what thoughts on this part so far cuz I I particularly like that last part, but we got yeah. we got a racehorse and we got wolves. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I like to hear that part too, just because again, it's just um, like an interesting segment of the world. And also, uh, remembering back here to like at the very start of things, um, wolves who were like a uh, big big concern would be like them being like a, I guess who want the ill omens of uh, this uh, persistent cold. And also, just like the idea of um, Trollocs. Not getting along with wolves either. Then he, it's obviously sort like kind of can't. made me think. Ah, so are they kind of unrelated? Are they not? Yeah, you know, not like are like the like the cold and uh, wolves and actually like heralds here for the Trollocs coming, or are they just tangential sort or of things?
1: No, it's, it's more of like literally. If there are wolves, there aren't trolics. If there are Trollocs, there aren't wolves. It's it's more like they yeah. don't like each other. So it's not like they're the heralds. It's more
2: more like sort of of dark times ahead. Imagine
1: imagine living in a village kind of out in the boonies, right? And then you have um, wolves around and then you're like, Ooh, the wolves are out. They're going to eat my sheep, my cattle and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, I mean, at at that, in that sense, it's just, it's natural. It's the wolf trying to feed itself and it's, it's family and it's clan and whatever it's pack. That's the proper term. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but when you have Trollocs nearby, they'll do the same things as the wolves, just more violently, and won't pick just the livestock. They'll destroy the entire house, the barn, everything. Um, and they'll, they'll do it even if they don't eat it. They'll just kill it for the sake of killing. Where wolves, they don't kill for the sake of killing, they kill for the sake of survival. But, you also have that thing where like you're in out, like imagine if you're in the borderlands, if you hear wolves, you relax. You don't, you don't st- stiffen and be like, Oh no, the wolves are out. No, it's more like, "Whoo, the wolves are out. We're in good shape. So it's, it's like, it's different. It's different places have different viewpoints and you'll learn that not everybody has the same view about wolves. I dare say a majority of the known world does not like wolves. Borderlanders know better, but everybody else not so much. Um. So I guess the next part <clears throat> is kind of the. Well, not quite the end. Um, we only got a couple pages left, but yeah. I mean we're Wait, we're, we're still getting there. We're we're getting there. We're we're managed to get a good chunk of meat out of this. Um. So, Moraine follows Lan without even has any hesitation or whatever, and Egwene tries to keep up to her. So, you know, Matt and Perrin follow behind them, and then Rand and Tom follow behind them. So yeah, we have a nice little procession of two, what is it? One, then two, then two, then two. So we got what seven people so far. Um, and then behind the is... Quiet and dark. And. They're thinking that getting out of the. Uh, getting out of the village. And as they neared a gate. Um, that he didn't think it would be easy to get out. At least without being seen by the villagers. Um, there are quite a few candles. Across the houses that were still standing. But nothing overly crazy. But. <sighs> he thought that maybe. Maybe. People were in their houses, you know, keeping an eye out for anything in the shadows and whatnot. But it seems to be going pretty well for them until Lan stops them and halts the entire party and basically motions for silence. Um, And then on the wagon bridge, they hear boots. And there's... Moonlight glinting off of metal, we've got clattering of boots, grating on the gravel, and then heading towards the end. No sound came from them, but apparently everybody in the party were probably too scared to really make a noise. So when the footsteps halt, then they notice that it's John Thane with a spear propped on his stout shoulder. And getting an old jerkin sewn over with steel discs. Um, struggling to stay together on his chest. Because he's probably a pretty hefty guy. Um, that Rand saw them for who they are. There's about 12 guys from the village. Um, and surrounding farms. And helmets and pieces of armor. that uh, Probably probably go back all the way. Honestly back to <laughs> mm. Um With a spear, a wood axe, or a rusty bill. Um, man, I really would like to get shed on here and talk about all these individual weapons and whatnot. That'd be kind of cool.
2: Yeah.
1: Maybe someday in the future, but, um, so basically the Miller, yeah, looks, we'll,
2: we'll, we'll, we'll harass him on you he, he, finally talks to us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, getting him to talk to us might not be difficult. Getting him to agree to come on and chat for hours about, you know, medieval and Renaissance type stuff, considering he, he does like the wheel of time series. But for those who don't know, Shadowversity is a uh, YouTuber um, with his own channel and does a lot of really cool stuff about uh, content in movies, books, and whatnot, and how it relates to historical value when it comes to medieval and uh, renaissance and that kind of thing in terms of weaponry, war styles, strategies, etc. He's a very interesting guy. So... The Miller checks out the inn, and it's like, eh, it looks all right. And then two, two, as they call it, two ragged ranks, rut row,
0: hmm.
1: <laughs> rut row, shaggy. <laughs> um, and so they kind of just move off. And then Lan says this curious thing: Two Davol Trollocs would have had them for all for breakfast, but they have eyes and ears. So then he leads them out." As soon as the patrol passes, um, take them back behind the stable yard, uh, down through the willows in the Wine Spring water. Um, going through the Wine Spring, it's cleaning up their. It, it's moving faster than a creek, but slower than like a white water rafting <laughs> river. Um, and they pop out the other side. But they basically kept away from all the village houses, and then he basically he's he's basically pulling a uh, splinter cell or uh, hitman style, sneaking towards things where he's avoiding any unreasonable movement. He's avoiding anything that could give him away for sound. Like he's actually like keeping them from making any amount of noise by leading them to the least noisable direction i guess is the proper term
0: but yeah
2: yeah i don't know i imagine is a quite typical with you what five horses six horses
1: seven horses i, <laughs> I thought we just established this there's land of the front uh, then you got the two girls the two boys and the two boys
2: now i just see now i completely forgot that hey, man parent there <laughs> Don't let
1: that report out anything, are they? <laughs> right, right. They're not important. They die in the next chapter. What are you talking? Oh, oops. <laughs> oh, spoilers. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um. So they head to the north side of the village and whatnot, and basically, Ran pulls Samwise Gamgee and is homesick before he even leaves the Shire. <laughs> In this case, the two rivers, or well, Emmonsfield directly. He's still in the two rivers. Um, so he's trying to memorize all this, all the places around here, because he wants to remember them. Um, and there's a lot of really beautiful descriptions here. So I won't have to go over it all, but um, we get that the uh, the moon is just shy of being a full moon. Um, but he feels like oh i could almost touch this moon so any thoughts on this area so far besides what we've already talked about
2: uh, not really i mean it, well busy is what we just do coming over like uh actually like just they' actual just leaving the, leaving at uh, field
1: yeah i mean i i would say that uh their little stealth system is kind of intriguing, but the fact yeah. that they do it so well shows that this isn't Land's first rodeo.
2: Yeah. Well uh what does are you like a hey, build up to be sort of like these uh what semi legendary warriors?
1: Uh they're not really like semi legendary as much as they are they're they have they're renowned, yes, but like I mean if you want to be a trade if you want to be trained as a blade master, you either find a legitimate blade master or or you find a warder. But typically the only way to get trained by a warder is to become a warder. But that means that you're basically bound to an eye to Sedai for the rest of your life kind of thing. So, it really does depend on how you want to go about that. But... um, So, I mean... They're legendary, but for a different reason than you might think. Um, and not every warder is equal. Some warders are better than other warders. And some warders are like they're better than the average swords person they're even better probably than the superb swords person or soldier but they're still not like necessarily god mode i know of a couple orders that i could probably count on my hand that are basically unstoppable (laughs) but It's, yeah, I don't want to get too far into that because that brings up a whole lot of other things in the story that we haven't gotten to yet. So, um, it just shows that for one, Lan is a borderlander, so he's familiar with Trollocs, he's familiar with tracking, he's familiar with sneaking around, flanking, and all that type of stuff. I mean, he's had his fair share of war, but, um, yeah. Not too bad. Now for the final section, unless you added some more.
2: No. no just uh again you see sort of see kind of and I I guess he like in this chapter you are definitely seeing uh plants here kind of like outlook on uh, existence and such.
0: Yeah,
1: well you I mean you can tell you can tell that he knows what he's doing and he's done it before. So this is probably not the first time him and Moraine have snuck out of a village or of a town or a city or something. So, um, so this next part, we we just finished with Ran trying to reach out and grab the moon, because I mean, how cliche is that? But <laughs> then suddenly, pineapples. Uh, just kidding. Suddenly, a black shape flew, flies across the silvery ball of the moon. And Rand jerks his hand back without intending to. And he's like, oh, it's it's just a bat. But bats are not common around here. Because, they I mean, they go after flies and bite mees. Now, bite mees is like the best name for a mosquito you can have. It's literally... What it does. It, it bites me. Oh, it's a bite me. Um,
0: so flies, I, 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 get, I guess it works.
1: It, it does work, but bite me is also like, it's one of those things like it's you're used to hearing it as a insult. Like, bite me. It's like, okay, mosquito. <laughs> bites. But he points out that the wings that carrying this creature might have had the same shape, but they moved with a slow, powerful sweep of a bird of prey, and it was hunting. Um, the way it cast back and forth and long arcs left no doubt of that. Worst of all was the size. For a bat to seem so large against the moon would have almost been within arm's reach. Like, that's how close the bat would have had it been. He tried to judge his mind how far away it must be and how big. The body of it had to be as large as a man, the wings. It crossed the face of the moon again, wheeling suddenly down toward downward to being caught by the night. He did not realize that Lan had ridden back to him until the warder caught his arm. What are you sitting here staring at, for, boy? We have to keep moving. So they head off. Um, he's trying to keep fear from overcoming his the fear of the Trollocs from overcoming his sense. but he was hoping that Lan would dismiss the bat as part of his you know, his own imagination and making it up but Lan growls a word that nobody was liking that <laughs> so they're kind of like looking at the sky like oh no oh no so the word he uses is Jakar and of course Tom groans softly <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, come on! You've got to be joking! <laughs> so,
2: uh, and it begins. Yes, it does.
1: Rain falling. And then Egwene asks... Or, no, sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> i getting ahead of myself. And Moraine's like, yep. Uh, we could hope for a little else. But the draw has a Jakar's command. They will know where we are if he doesn't already. So we gotta move. Much more quickly than they can across country. So they're going to head to Tarn Ferry to beat the Merdreau and his Trollocs. So going to asks what a Drakkar is. And Tom's like, well, in the war that ended the Age of Legends, worse than Trollocs and Halfmen were created. Now, of course, he doesn't do this with his resonating voice. He does this with a hoarse voice. Like, he's not happy to be here. <laughs> Apparently, though, when Moraine jerks, look at him. Not even the dark and the shadows could hide the look she gave him, and how sharp it was. But before anybody could ask, you know, Tom, like, what do you mean? What's going on? Land's like, all right, we're going to the North Road now, for your lives. Follow my lead. Keep up and keep together. You know, all grand, like. I'm sure he said it exactly like that. I probably just totally did yes. that so much. But no, no,
2: he, he he does it with the whole rearing up on his horse
1: rears his horse about and they all gallop wordlessly after him but not soundlessly because gallops are not quiet (laughs) so thoughts on this wonderful turn of events
2: um (laughs) Rand why are you so hopeful you know there's nothing anything you hope for is just not going to turn out right
0: to be
1: fair he is a country bumpkin who probably doesn't even know what a jacar is considering Egwene doesn't know what a a Jakar is
2: yeah, but the whole thing of being like, oh, I just see this old man bat in the sky. Uh, <laughs> I hope it's nothing. I know it. I know, it's, I know it is something, but I hope it's not. I hope it, that land can I, secure I hope it. I it hope back. it's just
1: an illusion and they're just like, you know, uh, it's just a leaf that flew in front of the I, or something.
2: I hope I'm being stupid right now.
1: I know, right? But I like your description of, of it being a man bat. And it's like, yeah. well, okay, let's put it this way. Jakar appearance would probably not be that much far off from a vampire not the elegantly dressed flying through the air without wings vampire but like an actual quote-unquote batman and not the dc comics version
2: uh, see i wasn't actually acquainted the batman villain man bat
1: oh I'm, <laughs> I'm not familiar with him so i wouldn't know but
2: uh, he he is literally just a to see it like half man, half bat. Well,
1: oh, I figured that from the whole man bat.
2: <laughs> yeah, bat. yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, you would DC Batman. is very
1: original. That's the... <laughs> yeah,
2: he would he would imagine a Batman would be, be much like that, but you know, he's he failed on that front.
1: Batman versus man bat. What happened? Dyslexia, <laughs> <And> then, uh... <laughs> dyslexia in the genes. Yeah. But I mean, i I. I think the best way to describe—I'm—I'm I'm going to consult the book of the companion, and figure out if I can give more accurate—a uh, more accurate description of a jakar.
2: So we need to get sort of like a soundboard or something, just so we can play like a sound effect every time you reach for the book.
1: Ba-da-ba-da! <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Look, maybe we should go back to the reading rainbow theme song. Reading rainbow. All right, see. Uh,
0: All
1: right, a chakar, creature of the dark one, made originally by twisting human stock. A chakar appeared to be a large man with bat-like wings, two pale skin, and two large eyes. Um, We'll give this little synopsis. Well, maybe I shouldn't give the rest of the synopsis because they'll come out later on. Um. Basically, it doesn't bite with fangs, per se. It's more of a fate worse than that. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that until we get to it, because they'll actually talk about it. But let's just say it's a very terrifying thing.
2: And, uh, uh, it's, it, and there's a way to draw out your soul keeping, while well, keeping you alive. So you know, just, just don't 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 worry about it. You know, just just a good, fine, quick death.
1: I wouldn't call it quick, nor would I call it death, but yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, how about that for an ending of a chapter? We haven't had that kind of suspense in a while.
0: Uh,
2: and then it's uh, been. You wouldn't say sleepy, but it's been uh, certainly sort of, like more passive than the, the uh, previous chapters thus far.
1: Well, there's a lot of excitement as, like, a first-time excitement for villages and whatnot. Yeah. But now we're getting into a whole other can of worms. And when I say a whole other can of worms, I mean a whole other can of worms. Like, we haven't even hit, like, the peak peak yet. We're still a couple chapters away from the peak, but we are getting there. And it will become more and more intriguing and more and more mysterious as we go. So... Um, yeah, just wanted to point out some of that stuff. But I think the next chapter will be—it's a fairly short. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five,
0: five. It's shorter
1: than this chapter, but it's mostly spaced out a little bit. The real stuff. see what chapter chapter 14 is when things will probably start getting a bit more realistic in terms of the uh outcome um i will say after chapter 14 is when it basically goes downhill <laughs> <laughs> so um maybe i mean i guess it depends on chapter 15 really let me see uh no, nope, chapter seventeen is when it really becomes the super downhill. Um, we'll get there. Just I implore you all, do not get ahead of this because you will ruin all the fun for yourself. It's going to be much more exciting to go across this with the shock and awe of this series. It's very, very good. But yes, um, I will say definitely looking forward to the next episode and the episodes following after. We are making pretty good time, considering we're already like a quarter through the book. Almost a quarter book. We got what? Ooh. We got 50? Okay, sorry. One-fifth away through the book. My
2: apologies. Um, hey, my edition's a bit weird, so uh, it sounds like 880 pages, and I'm at uh, and chapter, who- chapter 11, Road to Town Ferry, that's
1: uh, page 178. We are... Yeah, I'm not sure what the exact page is. I think we're technically on page 200-something, but um, the overall, with glossary, is 179 pages, allegedly. Um, Apparently, one of my pages is two pages, so I I don't really know how they're doing it, because it it changes really weird, but there's about 1,035 pages, excuse me, for the whole book so yeah we'll, we'll get there but i'd say we're about one-fifth of the way through the series so far but we've got an interesting situation coming on so maybe a little bit rush rushed and wrestlement so but i guess that wrap this up for this chapter um thanks to everybody for keeping with us um we'll do our usual closing and let you guys get on out and enjoy the scene with the lads in the tavern. Um, but
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, still have, you still have to introduce me to them.
1: Well, yes, we haven't gotten to them yet, so we'll, we'll get to there eventually. Uh, but as yeah. for now,
2: can you, can you actually explain them? Because they're, they're kind of just staring. I mean, the corner of the room is very disconcerting.
1: Well, I'm sorry. They're not Strider, so you don't have to worry too much but anyway um they're carousing in the background but um yeah so once again um we ask that everyone if you could possibly share this to your friends family not friends not family (laughs) just everyone in general and see if any of them like this kind of stuff where it's a a good fantasy story um good probably the longest one that i am aware of at the moment but uh definitely a fun engaging descriptive story and if you get them involved and they want to read along with us um check out our facebook we have some posts about where to where to find the eye of the world book if you're looking for it outside of a uh a bookstore and trust me every bookstore everywhere will have some of these books in some capacity because they are that popular um and you could probably get them cheaper at a local bookstore than you probably would at like a Barnes and Nobles or something. But if you're if you're looking for just a cheap copy, you can check out Amazon and get them for like eight to ten bucks. Um, I'm sure even some of the other places. If you're just getting a small hand, the paperback of it, it's probably pretty cheap. If you're lucky enough to come across a hard copy of it for moderately cheap, I would recommend you pick that up because it feels so much nicer in your hand than a, a paperback, and it'll probably stay together a lot better than a paperback if you read it uh, incessantly like I do. My copies hmm. are starting to fall apart because my wife is reading them (laughs) so um yeah thanks for joining us um feel free to share as much as you can and hopefully we will get uh, a bit more questions and whatnot we haven't gotten many questions here lately but um as we build up the following and people are more interested hopefully they will ask more questions um once again you can uh contact us at tales of a red arm at gmail.com if you want to just talk to us directly um, you can also reach out to us on twitter at at tales of a red arm and you can also uh, hit us up at Facebook on our page tales of a red arm and uh, Facebook and twitter both get kind of updated regularly with the announcements or any type of uh, any comments or anything that we think you know hey you guys She probably know this or just interaction in general or whatever. Um, Any announcements we make, though, will be on there as well. Um, Best way to keep track of everything. But you can also uh, share with your friends about how we're on a variety of different sites like uh, Spotify and a bunch of others. We've posted on our Facebook and I believe also on our Twitter. If you go back in our history a little bit, um, all the places your friends can check it out. Um, If you have another site that you'd like us to put our podcast on please let us know and we can see about getting that on there for other people as well um but yes thank you for joining us again for another chapter and we all look forward to the next chapter um oh, chapter 11 and i don't know james do you have anything else or I uh, how much you're uh, enjoying this or you want to call the next chapter or call any other other stuff or what
0: uh,
2: generally loving it, loving this at the moment. Uh, this is probably one of the, the better uh, book series of that I'm reading at the moment.
1: I think and, the, uh, the term you're looking for is the best, but yes.
2: <laughs> I'll I'll make that at the end of this, unless everyone dies, and then I will be ex- exceedingly sad. But <laughs> yeah.
1: who said sadness isn't a good thing?
2: Uh, true enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you do you always want to be told like oh this is how it actually happens and like oh it just happened like every other story
0: uh, but no yeah.
2: i think that's i think you'll it. that's it for this episode then
1: yeah so thanks for joining us for this episode and we will see you guys next week until then
0: we drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls will spend our pay. Eh? And when we're done, then we'll await to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We will toss the dice however they fall, and snuggle the girls, be they short or tall. Then follow young
1: Matt wherever he goes to we'll dance with Jack of the Shadows.
0: We'll, we'll toss the sex dice sex however they, they fall, and some the cuz the be they shot or tall,
1: tall then follow they Lord Matt, wherever he calls, to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse, and hug the maids it could be worse, we'll as ride away with the Darkwood's first to, to dance, dance with, Jack with Jack of the Shadows.